We are so deep. And when I say deep, I mean D double E P in the snake pit, <laughs> in the simulation that I can feel little critters crawling around my ankles. The snake pit. And before I introduced a fellow podcaster and my guest for our second episode today, I'd like to just introduce everyone else in the room, starting with the evil stepson of our guest. Kyle, what's up? So every episode, before you introduce yourself, every episode Kyle gives himself a new title. So he's like, I'm editor, (laughs) engineer, actor, movie director. I'm like, all right, very Hollywood of you, Kyle. All of the hyphens. And to Kyle's right, we got Bo back for a second episode. And who's engineering the episode today? So you are a voice actor. Okay, because I was going to say, the way he introduced himself in the last episode, I was like, bro, this dude needs to be in Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) You have a great voice, Oh, shit. (laughs) That was fucking crazy. Uh, Now, on my left, camera right, this is a man I met briefly at the old Third Wheel podcast studio. And I remember thinking after the episode, I was like, dude, usually your soul feels dead after recording a podcast because you give it your all. But this dude's engine was still fucking rocking after his episode. He was just fired up. Was like there was no there was no depletion of energy after an hour long episode for him, and it seemed like he'd go another three hours. And I looked up your show, liked it a lot. It's a realm that I'm a little unfamiliar with, but I did learn through the uh, the article. So on my left, camera right, I have Cody Snyder. What's up, gang? And could you do me a quick favor and just lower this so I can see your yeah, damn face? Yeah. Lower this. How are we doing, Harrison? Is this still all right? Yeah. All right, so I'm not blocking that. No, normally you are the interviewee, but today, or is that, am I right? Is it inter- you're being interviewed? Yeah. Or, yeah, so you're the interviewee, I'm the interviewer. Normally you're the interviewer. Right. Understood. Right. Okay. It's podcasting, though, so it's kind of just hanging out, but, Got I, it. but yeah. I feel you. For sure. I feel you. Now, for those of you, the people who are going to listen to this and don't know who you are, can you give a quick synopsis of who you are and what yeah, you do? Yeah, man. I can give you, I can give you all of the things. Uh, my name's Cody Blue, or Cody Blue Snyder is my full name. Uh, I'm a professional director and screenwriter. I'm in the DJ and the WGA. Uh, and ultimately, the reason we know each other is this year I made a podcast produced by Cavalry Media called The Awakened Underground. Uh, It's a podcast that explores psychedelics and healing with psychedelic medicines. Uh, I have a specific healing journey and uh, I made my whole straight edge family do psychedelics, make my dad do psychedelics on the show uh, with doctors and stuff. Really? uh, Yeah, so, and you know, so kinda, so, yeah. I mean, mean, there's there's a lot to say, but mainly the why we're here is because we we record in the same studio, I'm usually on the other side of this. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm a filmmaker, but I have a show called The Awakened Underground, and I have a bunch of projects that I've been focusing on around destigmatizing and reframing plant medicines, and you know, also like to give a big middle, big middle finger to the pharmaceutical companies whenever I can. Uh, no offense to anyone who's on pharmaceutical medicines, but kind of present a option, an alternative option, as we're in sort of this psychedelic renaissance right now. So. Now, young Cody, I had read this in the article, was quite the hyper being. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, man, I still am. <laughs> I still. But they tried to lithium your veins, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it's... Just, just as a preface before you explain, 
I was the same way. Are you, are you serious? Big time ADHD, prescribed Adderall. I made a film in college called The Adventures of Adderall Boy, where a kid takes Adderall and turns into a superhero. Boy. Oh my God, are you serious? Deadass. Well, you know that so superhero. I, so I know that realm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a product of the medication generation. I'm, we're kind of an archetype of these generations, you know? We like uh, hyperactive or don't fit necessarily in the cultural box, you know, sort of the industrial era education system that wants you to kind of remember a bunch of things and just regurgitate it uh, a few days later, you know, doesn't really foster creativity or feeling or anything like that. Entrepreneurship. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, they stuck me on ADHD medication and, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, there were debilitating side effects. So they'd like rotate me like a guinea pig on and off, like all through my life. Eventually land on Adderall, which is a great time if you haven't taken Adderall. But there's, <laughs> but there's crazy side effects. And, uh, and it's sort of putting a, it, they treat the symptom, not the source of it. Uh, and then when I got out, I'm from New York, when I got out to Hollywood and I signed my, sold my first movie to New Line Cinema and signed a three-picture deal with them, and I got stuck in studio hell, development hell, and, you know, the side effects were just getting worse and worse by the day, and I was sort of like, I went to the doctor, I was like, hey, man, I'm, like, depressed and anxious, I think it's the medication, like... What were they cycling you on at this, when you started? Well, when I led a, oh, a Stratera, Ridlin, Folkland, Concerta, the gamut. Vivance ever? Vivance, yeah, man, Vivance, yeah. Okay, what, what was the biggest rush for you? What were you like, yo, this is the one? Adderall. For sure. Yeah, dude, that shit's awesome. Yeah, but it, it's, I mean, because I had tested, I had been on Concerta for a little bit. And, same. And Ritalin. Yeah, same. And that really sucks the fucking life out of you. Adderall is like, it was kind of a happy medium for me. Yeah, I mean. And yeah. preface, Kyle, you've been on Adderall forever, right? Ritalin. Are you Ritalin. still, are you still on it? When I moved out here, I got off. Oh, dude, good for you, man. I think the, I think the interesting thing is sort of like the man that needs an on switch needs an off switch. So it's sort of a vicious cycle. Uh, it also like, and it really, it creates, it's sort of like a addiction model. They want you to keep taking it and you get sort of like in this, this mindset, it forms your consciousness around taking a pill to do anything. You know, you start thinking you need something external to be the best version of yourself. And it's like, it's a real mind fuck. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, like, it, it's, it's great while you're on it, but then you crash and there's symptoms of paranoia and anxiety and depression. Uh, uh, you snap at your family. Uh, you can be not the best partner uh, creatively or a spouse or whatever and Libido not even realize it. Too. Libido. I was never getting woodies when I was on the Adderall. That's so funny, man. All I wanted to do was masturbate when I was on the Adderall. Really? <laughs> that was the only thing you could focus on? All I did was jerk off and take Adderall. Nah. <laughs> but I feel you. Yeah, no, it, it fucks with everything. And when I looked into it, because I went to the doctor, I was like, man, I'm, like, I'm anxious and depressed, but I have all my dreams coming true, but I don't feel good. I think it's the meds. He was like, ah, oh, take another. Here's an here's a antidepressant to balance you out. We're going to increase your dosage. And I was like, I was like, fuck this. Like, there's got to be like a, a, an alternative. There's got to be there's got to be a, a different way. And I, I, I started traveling the world, working with different doctors and dietitians and naturopaths and neuroscientists. I, was, I took the money from the script and just was on a mission. And then I, I ended up in the, like, the Amazon rainforest working with shamans of the Shipibo tribe, doing some of the most hardcore psychedelic medicines on the planet, like ayahuasca, wachuma, uh, vilka, bobotsana. You got that brain blasted. Yeah, man. Yeah, that, that's, 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 it's no joke. And then I discovered what these medicines actually are. Uh, started to discover also the, the nature of illness. 
uh, and and that was that. That changed everything, you know, because it's the real life red pill. This shit, especially the plants, you know, it's like full blown, like break out of this reality or or whatever it is. And so it just sort of, you know, uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, I'm someone who was really interested in evolving the consciousness of humanity, or you know, ma making the world better. And and when I look around, like it's a clusterfuck. Uh, and started to realize that it, they were all symptoms of a sick consciousness. So I started to be like, damn, these medicines could, you know, I mean, if we could get Congress as an example, just to take some mushrooms and together, I mean, it'd be a very different conversation the next day, you know? Uh. Now, when you had initially detoxed, however you did it off the stimulants, how long was that period and what did you feel like? For me, it was about like 45 days where I was like, just felt like a fucking zombie. Dude, when did you detox off uh, your meds? Like six, seven years ago. I had no idea we were like similar, similar path. Um, well, I'm the same way. I like suck yeah. me with my whole fucking personality. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's a, it's a mind fuck. Uh, it took me something similar to to, to be honest. It, it, I think I was not quite normal for about a year, and even then, it still was this idea that. Right, because you know, you've said something to me about hustle culture, and I grew up playing sports, like, and it's very, you know, push, 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 push yourself as hard as you can. So, you know, I mean, when the idea that I was not doing everything I could do to push myself in my, to be the best version of myself, like, that mental prison lasted for a very long time, and I would even find myself you know, when I would hit like a, a low point or I'd be like, oh, let me try going back. I'd take it. It'd be good for a day. The next day, the side effects would come back. So, I mean, like it took me a while on the, sh on the show. When I tell the story, it sounds like it was like I stopped that day. I did stop, but there were several moments where I went back and like tried to take it again and, yeah. and just, you know, kind of had to come face to face. There's sort of no, no going back. Jeannie doesn't go back in the bottle. The fascinating thing about these medications is they work great at first, but the side effects build over time, and then the, the good side effects uh, lessen and the negative side effects increase, right? Because all you're really doing is taking it for the side effects, and you're going, well, are the side effects good or are they bad? You know, and that's, that's sort of you know, what determines whether it's working for you or not. I also realized when I detoxed, I was like, yo, discipline is like the great unlock. Right. Like, if you are disciplined, you can focus, Connor. You don't need fucking meds. Just fucking go through the pain of sitting down in a seat and fucking writing something for a little bit. Right. That's the big sort of, that's the big lesson is sort of the pain is the path. And pain is not a necessary, or, or discomfort is not a negative thing. It's uh, guiding you towards, towards what you should be doing. So to completely like obliterate those emotions by taking a stimulant or a drug, you're not listening to your own emotional and intuitive compass. So it's like, I always say like, love is the thing pulling you forward and pain is the thing, kind of the spear in the back pushing against you. So if you're resisting where you're supposed to go, you're gonna feel that pain. So sort of reframing discomfort. And then like you said, focusing more on discipline and ritual and then also getting in touch with your own natural cycles. Because uh, we're not necessarily made to sit on an assembly line and work at peak, you know, uh, just at your peak for 12 hours straight. You know, there's natural ebbs and flows. And most people don't even get to learn or tap into that if they work a conventional nine to five job, so to speak. But if you work in the arts or you work kind of outside of the, uh, 
the, the you know the normal constructs of, of of business and making a living, you you do have the opportunity to get more in touch with, you you know your emotions and your intuition and you know that's sort of like you know that's your north star. That's what will guide you towards what you're supposed to be doing. So if you keep taking these meds or whatever, you're gonna find yourself one day like looking at your life or looking at yourself or looking at your partner going, what the fuck? How did I get here? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is this? Like, you know, it's because you just kept taking the meds and, and overriding your feelings and just going back to, you know, to business as usual as it's sort of taught to us as kids. What I learned after getting off the meds is I was like, I'm only, I can be focused and effective with computer work, say emails, editing a video, contracts and shit like that only when I'm fasted. Yeah, me too. I'm Same fa shit? I fast every day. I'm fasting right coffee? now. coffee? No, I do. There's a little I creamer do. in there. There's a little creamer no, in there. No, no, I use, I use mud water, which is like ashwagandha, lion's mane, turkey tail. So I use like all these adaptogens. Uh, and then and then I have, and then it's black coffee, yeah. So and when you break it. your fast, it's harder for you to sit down and focus, right? For me. Yeah. So I have to like structure my day. So, uh, so morning is creative work. And one of the reasons why it's really good to do creative work in the morning is you're more tapped into your subconscious mind in that dream state. You're producing more dimethyltryptamine and you're more in that flow state that is correlated with dreams. So in the morning I wake, I wake up and go right into sort of like a channeled meditative state. I sit there for an hour, I do my full ritual, and then I open my eyes. I, I know what I'm working on, whether it's a script or, or, uh, or a deck or whatever. I go right into it. And then once I start to feel the energy go, which is typically around lunch, I'll start to crash, I eat. And then after that, I try to do uh, like work that I need less stimulation for. So like correspondences or meeting. meet exactly. Well, even this right now, you know, I asked, Oh, can we meet, you know, around, you know, can we do a little later in the day just cause I have that creative time. So you broke your fast. I didn't break my fast. I'll break my fast after this. I'm fasted like a bastard right, You're right now. now. Oh yeah. So the interesting thing about fasting and I ultimately came to psychedelics as cause it's the closest thing to a panacea and we can get into it. But, you know, I did everything under the sun before that. And fasting is one of the best things you can do for focus. And there's a few reasons. One is just naturally your body is going to optimize when it's starving and it needs food. Right. So it's going to optimize itself. Also, a big thing with ADHD is it's a lack of blood flow to the prefrontal cortex. And I think it's like 70 percent of your blood goes to your stomach when you digest food. So that's why when you eat, you can often feel sluggish. So, you know, fasting, it puts yourself a little bit in that survival state. Uh, fasting also produces more DMT uh, and more of the, those natural chemicals. And also you're not taking any of the blood you want going to your brain to, you know, to have it be processing food. I personally, and I haven't done all the stuff you've done, but I really... No, you're on it, man. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. But, but I really think fasting is like a huge unlock for productivity. 100%. It's the biggest, dude. Like, you, I'm sure you guys know, I don't know if you've ever fasted, but after you eat lunch, you feel like a little fucking lethargic and slow. Imagine just like not feeling that way. You push your meal off. You're never digesting. You're just in go mode. It fucking sucks for three weeks. But once you break through that, you're like, oh, fuck, I feel good. I have good energy. And also it helps build your fucking muscle easier, muscle reparation. And, if, and what I've noticed, too, I don't know if you're huge into bodybuilding, but yeah. if you stretch your fast longer over time. So, like, sometimes I'll do a 20-hour on a daily basis. Yeah. I lean out like that. 
No way. Okay, because that's what I was gonna what I was gonna ask you. Because I'm right there with you. One of the things, and especially you go to like the mystery schools or some of the, you know, whether it's monks or whatever it is, like you know, die. Uh, Food, discipline with food, what you eat, how you eat, and not is like the first sort of threshold of any sort of training. They're like, you start to master your food and that desire to eat, they're like, that is like the first step. So, but my question for you is like, dude, you're big. Yeah, I, I weight train. Uh, you know, I just worked out two and a half hours yesterday. My, like, you put on weight. Like, how are you able to get the necessary caloric intake and protein? Do you? just take, eat a ton of fucking food at the end of the day? Like, how do you, how do you do it? You wear Simon Cowell small shirts, so you look fucking jacked. <laughs> Shrink these things up so your veins fucking pop. Okay. Uh, I run a lot. You run? Big yeah. runner. How much? Right now, I'm doing about 35 miles a week. Before I got here, I was doing ultra marathons. And um, I've, I think I've found the right happy medium with lifting and running. Dude. You were, uh, this is awesome. I had no idea you were such a biohacker. So one of I'm into it. I'm into fucking with your calories, like recomping your body. It's fun. It's like, it's how it's, I think it's one of the few things humans can fully control. Right. So before I even got to the more, you know, the mystical and the psychedelic side of things, I was, I was raised a scientific materialist and, you know, very agnostic. So everything was very by the book science. So I started looking into ADHD and one of the best things I found that essentially if you run for 25 minutes, you elevate your heart rate to 20 minus your age mm -hmm. for 20, 25 minutes, I believe it releases the necessary chemicals that is essentially like a micro dose of an antidepressant and a ADHD medication. 25 minutes at max heart rate, essentially 25. Yeah. I guess whatever 220 minus your age is, is that max heart rate? That's like 90% heart rate. Oh, wow. Well, they're saying if you do that, the doctors say if you do that, then you're essentially getting a natural dose of antidepressant Adderall. So you're like spot on. Like you fit you're, you're, you're figuring out the fucking the game, bro. What about extreme heat? Does it have the same effect? I don't know. I've never learned anything about extreme heat, but I, I'll, I do like a sweat lodges, shamanic sweat lodges, and I'll, I'd love to get like a good sweat in. I'm sure you're essentially like hacking your system to create like chemicals. It's, it's all about when it comes to conventional, when it comes to like the allopathic Western perception of ADHD, because there's different perceptions of, of it all. They say it's a lack of blood flow to your prefrontal cortex, which is sort of like the CEO part of your brain, you know, the decision-making part of your brain. And that's what it is from a diagnostic standpoint. They'll just say, oh, you have a lack of blood flow to your prefrontal cortex. Obviously, they don't treat it that way because the pharmaceutical companies are running the show. Uh, you know, I, but I mean, that's why a stimulant or coffee or whatever it is will, can have the effect of calming and focusing someone with ADHD. I just... You know, I got to this age and I'm realizing it's just like fucking bullshit. Like, bro, it's to be hyper is a blessing in society. Right. To be charismatic and be able to do a bunch of things at once in our society is a good thing. Right. And so as a kid, it's like, holy fuck. Yeah, I wanted to like throw myself through a glass window sitting down learning about geography. <laughs> I'd say, man. Yeah. But, it, but it also... People who are hyper are more social, more charismatic, and they just, they demon, and I, I don't even mean to sound like a, a tinfoil hatter, but they demonize you growing up for it. Oh, bro, get your tinfoil hat on, because where we're going, I mean, if you really <laughs> want to dive into this, because at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you go to, 
once I started working with like medicine men and women of tri indigenous medicine men and women, the ADHD archetype is a like a shamanic archetype to them. So essentially what's happening when you have ADHD is the part of your brain that we all have uh, mechanisms in our brain that limits information. So let's say uh, a, a person with a, a conventional brain, so to speak, right? Which, what the fuck is conventional? We're all unique individuals. They're fuck all the boxes that society tries to put us in. It's, they're not real, they're social constructs. But in this framework, if I had, let's say, a normal brain, if I, but I put my, my shoe on in the morning, I feel what it feels like to have this boot on my foot. And then I go into my daily life and a, a, a quote unquote normal brain can push out that, it can block out that feeling of the boot. So it's limiting information so you can focus. A quote unquote ADHD brain does not quite have that ability to limit information. So you're experiencing everything all at once. That's why it's hard to focus is because you're experiencing everything all at once. But the gift of it, because everything in life is a blessing and a curse, it's, it's twofold, it's a paradox. The gift of it is you can have a, an increased pattern recognition. You can connect dots and see the bigger picture. You're not being hyper-focused. The thing is that society, you know, it wants workers. It wants good citizens. It wants you to focus. It wants you to lock in. So like you're saying, hey man, like that's a fucking, this is a fucking gift. And the truth is, is that those cultures, they would spot someone who has quote unquote ADHD uh, and who could channel an increased amount of energy and they would use that. They actually tend to be sort of the right hand path or uh, the awakened path or whatever, a shamanic, a medicine person, a healer, because they can channel these energies into the room. So once I heard that, I was like, I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, so you have this sort of this really interesting archetype, which is sort of this artist, uh, this storyteller, this healer, priest kind of archetype, which is all the same when it comes to a shamanic standpoint. The shaman was the storyteller, the healer, the medicine person, right? They're taking them, medicating them, and put it and forcing them back in the box. So, like, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, I mean, the tr it, it is a gift. And when someone says to you, no, honey, you, <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> Something's wrong with your brain. You have a neurochemical imbalance, which, by the way, we don't even know that to be true. I mean, we're, a lot of where we are around this subject is guessing. But, I mean, yeah, man, I mean, you're spot on. I mean, like, you know, you are that artist archetype. I mean, look at you. Well, what if I also think when I... I'm most effective if I only have one thing to focus on. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, because I'm, I'm a work in progress, man. I'm like a student. I'm trying to just learn and figure this shit out. I, I have to block out a lot of extrasensory information. So, like, I don't, I, I, and it's led to my, I have a deficiency in how my correspondences, which all my friends can what, could what tell you. Mean? It means like what I won't, hard to text. I won't wake up and text message or go on social media because once I pull those energies, I'll find myself more fractured. So like I'll have to like put everything away, go immediately into a meditative state, open up and focus on one thing. People used to say to me with, oh well, you have ADHD, you can focus on ten things at once, and I'm like, eh, like. Half-assed. Not, yeah, like not really. Like I also need to kind of like tie myself to one thing, which can be kind of a challenge because it's like, you know, you wear so many hats. You know, if you're directing this, producing this, hosting this, acting in this, you get pulled in all these different directions, especially in our medium. If you're an artist, especially in the industry, 
it's you don't know when something's gonna go or something's not gonna go. You have to spin a ton of plates at once. Uh, so I'm right there with you. I would prefer to lock in and focus on one thing, but at the same time, there's also you know I can get lost in the clouds. So it's sort of that, you know there's that saying: if you want something done, ask a busy person. So if I do have sort of some other things going on, it will force me to produce faster. This is just from my no ADHD medication you know point of view. Uh, but I'm right there with you. I, I would prefer to focus on one thing with all my love and passion and channel it directly into that than be fractured. And that's not always the case, you know. So let's just peel it back for everyone listening. So you come out here at what? You dropped out of school, came out here at what, 21, 22? Yeah, man. I, I dropped out of film school at 19, became, wow. became a director's assistant, kind of came back, was like, oh, I'm going to, got the bug. I was like, I'm going to make my first independent short film. I made a multi- World War II period piece short film called All That Remains. At For your 19. first movie, you made a World War yeah, II piece. Shot on Super 16. It was a, it was a big undertaking. And then... Time piece for your first movie. Dude, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I, <laughs> I, I, but I'm sort of like, oh no, this is the vision. I want to make this thing. And it got me signed out here and directing music videos and commercials professionally. And, and eventually... I and my reps were like, where's the feature? And I was like, eh, I, I, you know, I kind of go from drama to comedy. I was like, I want to make something that's like about these kids that play a joke on their teacher and they accidentally kill her and then they got to hide the body before their dare officer shows up. And they were like, everyone's like, what the fuck? This kid's crazy. And, and I made it. It was called Fool's Day. And it, Kyle I mean, just watched it before you got here. You watched Fool's Day? So good. Oh, dude. So good. Oh, man, thank you. <laughs> Well, that, step bros, step that bros, goes, oh, the chemistry, it's the tips, it's the bleach tips, dude, thank you, man, I, you know, and, and I can get into a little bit about Fool's Day and like why I made that and go you know, for it, but, but ultimately that ended up, that short ended, gave, gave me my pop in Hollywood, it premiered at Tribeca, I got a call from my manager, like literally walking into the theater and they're like, you got to get out here, you got like, 70 meetings and I did two months every agency studio and I'm 23 and they threw all these movies at me and and they were all sort of like same wine different bottle and shorties were loving you they're like damn he's next they were they gave me they gave me the I had a, I had some heat but the but I ha, <laughs> but I had this existential kind of crisis it's sort of if you get anywhere in this town or in this industry it's because your taste and the first thing you're asked to do is sort of sacrifice it and so I turned away everything when I'm, at the time I'm living in my parents' basement, eating pizza three times a day, directing music videos. So like, I really could have used the money and I was like, now nah, I'm gonna make my own thing. I'm gonna follow the 90s auteurs, the Tarantinos, Coen brothers of the world. I'm gonna make my own thing one by one. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I adapted the short, attached Edward Norton to produce, walked into New Line Cinema, signed my three picture deal with them. And, but then that put me in a year and a half of contract negotiations, then five years of, uh, fuck, I'm still in development hell. And I've been greenlit three times. I've shot a little bit. I was in Atlanta. I was in Montreal. I shot in LA. And it's been just a fucking roller coaster. But it, it taught me, like, you can't control your filmography and, and yada, yada. But, but, uh, were, yeah. were you in New York City or was it Westchester? I, I, I was born in Queens and then I was raised mostly on Long Island and then I lived in Murray Hill in Manhattan and before I came here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But how long do you think it took you to get soft out here? Or, or have you gotten soft? Define soft. Well, Define. just assimilating. I mean, if someone was to see you walking down the street, be like, yo, this dude definitely lives in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> How long um, did that take? Hmm. I have no fucking idea. I have no idea. I, I, have, I have no idea. I mean, I, 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 
nah, man, I don't fucking know. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, my, my family's in the entertainment industry. So my dad's a musician, so I was kind of like, I mean, my fucking friends in high school used to call me Hollywood, so I mean, there was a certain, you know, I, there's a certain, I was already sort of assimilated into the, into the industry. Uh, but you know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, you still have East Coast energy, but like, you can tell if someone's from the fucking East Coast out here. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely like, I don't want to say jaded, <laughs> but jaded is a little bit. I've, I, the, the movies were like my fucking like idol. You know, it was on a pedestal, and I worshipped these directors and worshipped these movies. And then, and then it started to change. You know, I started to realize I was like, oh wait this is kind of fucked, you know, like movies are supposed to teach human transformation. I mean, they're, they're movies and stories are, are, you want to talk about shamanism and mental health and it, what you're actually doing is you're taking the audience and you're sitting them in front of a movie and you're making them have this empathic transmission with the character, usually through sympathy. And their consciousness transposes onto the consciousness of the character. And then the character goes on a, a, a usually an archetypal story of, trials and failure and then they transform into something else there's typically two stories we could get into that and you alchemically are transforming the consciousness of the audience typically you're stretching it okay, I'm, i do lost you, you do you want me to go into this no well, no I, I don't i don't know how we got here okay what we got here is you're trying to well what really you want to know is how long it took me got soft yeah. That's what we <laughs> but started. what i'm actually saying is that i started to realize that the industry itself, like there's a, you know, there's a lot of like self-aggrandizing, like the, the, you know, a lot of, we, a lot of people making movies about movies, not about like the human experience or transformation. And it's a lot has to do with a, a fear-based culture in Hollywood. No one wants to get fired. You see how every executive transfers from one, one. Well, you, so you think people want something different than what they're getting? I, I do think we're kind of oversaturated with content. And I think we're sort of like, there's a, uh, I know for me personally, I end up watching a lot for kind of escapism at this point. Like, you what know. What are you watching? Did you see Greg's House of the Dragon? No, I didn't know I was supposed uh. to. Uh, Kit Harrington postponed, by the way, on me. So it ended up being, uh, okay, you good. Know, <laughs> was, he was asking me if I watched the new Game of Thrones and I was about to. He's like, yeah, how'd Kit do in it? I'm like, bro, he's not in the show, brother. Well, do you remember, do, <laughs> do you, like when I first was starting out, I would be on set as a director assistant. I go to the DP and producers. Did you see this? Did you see that? And they'd be like, "Sorry, I work, man. Like I'm working." I don't I'm watch shooting. that much stuff. Right? I, I I watch less than less than I used to. I mean, really, all I'm, uh, I'm this is I'm going on this tangent, but what I'm trying to say is I'm really interested now in sort of like the future of media and the future of storytelling and how to how stories and movies and content can be used to transform culture and to transform consciousness, as opposed to being, you know, where in the past I'd be like, I want to be the best director in my generation. Now I'm like, how do I fucking hack consciousness? How do I drop some sort of cultural bomb that will, that will fucking set forth some sort of chaos in a manner that will push like positive change, you know, or create movement in any sort of social construct, like we're talking about with sort of the stigma around ADHD and, uh, you know, the, the industrial education system or yeah, something so like that. So you need that. like a vice project is what you need, right? <laughs> Essentially. Well, you know, we made this fucking podcast and I, to be like, I, I, this is the first time I've ever been interviewed about it. So, because oh. I've been doing the interview, so I haven't spoken on this. But, bro, like, I did not, I was getting kind of called to make stuff around psychedelics, but I was so nervous it would blow up my deal at Warner Brothers that, like, I was just pushing it 
and pushing it and pushing it and going, well, I got to get my first movie and then I'll have more like clout and, you know, I won't like fuck up my career by my, you know, I won't fuck my business up by going out and being like pushing psychedelics. Well, the psychedelic stock worked. <laughs> the psychedelic stock worked. It's because you're passionate about it. It's because you fucking love it. Do I also, I feel like it's a timing thing. Like COVID happened and shit got weird. Like COVID hit, and next thing you know, the government's like, okay, yeah, so aliens are real. Uh, sorry, we were lying. My bad. Uh, yeah, psychedelics, medicines, they're, they're also better than pharmaceuticals and, and this, that, and the other thing. So like, it's just the timing-wise. I mean, once, once COVID hit, my, my movie got greenlit of like seven years, the week COVID hit. It, three days before, I was packing boxes, shut down, and then I was like, fuck it. And I just took everything I was doing, squashed it, and I just started doing all these projects around consciousness, aliens, and psychedelics. I was like, these are the three fucking things I want to talk about that like, I think we should be fucking talking about because they would change the world, man. Change the world forever, you know, if they're integrated properly. I didn't know you were a big aliens guy. Yeah, man. Well, they don't, you call them extraterrestrials, but whatever. Of course. Are you kidding me? That's the fucking, how could you have you, you ever had encounters yourself? I mean, it makes sense with the psychedelics and the aliens, like, but... Tell me. Not before. You don't want to hear this story. You don't want to. You don't want to. Were you on psychedelics when you thought you saw an alien? Oh, oh, of course, of course. <laughs> no, no, it's right. not. It's not even. It's not even like that. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't, all right, I'll give you. I'll give you the tea. You want the deep tea? Yeah, but you. I just want you to understand your audience. I'm sure Kyle's fucked around with some shit. I don't know about Bo. I'll tell you. But um, I have never done psychedelics. Sure. But I have been on that pharmaceutical gas. Yeah, man. Very different. Not the wave. Not All the right. wave. Well, as we know. As, as we, we know. know. Well, it was fun at one point. But yeah, yeah no, I'm right there with you. <laughs> a little brain crack. I, nothing wrong with it. I go got ahead. some crazy work done on that shit. Like, and it makes you feel superhuman, you know? I'll tell you before you start this story. The first time I took Adderall, I was in a, a public library. I was like 17, and we were studying for our finals. And I stood up on a table in the library, and I said, if I went to Harvard, and I'm like, professing this in front of everyone. I said, if I went to Harvard, I would be the most successful man in the world. <laughs> and all my friends were like, bro, what the fuck are you talking about? Sit down, bro. <laughs> they literally pulled me down. Like, yeah, he's just joking. I'm like, no, but I'm serious. Dude, nobody, it's that, that confidence though, you know? That confidence. That grandeur. Yeah, man. That, the, those, they call them delusions of grandeur, but whatever. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, that confidence is everything. You know, I'm right there with you. I, so... That's, that's the tough thing is you tell these, if you talk about psychedelic medicines, if we can get into the chemicals, we can get into what they fucking are, where they come from, we can get into all the fucking shit. Maybe that's better to do before I tell some bat fucking shit crazy story about it. Well, I mean, let's just preface it that like, okay, you took psychedelics, this will only make sense really for people who have taken psychedelics. This is what you need to know about when it comes to, well, one is there's a, there, there's the big psychedelics out there that everyone's going to be talking about is there's the ones, you know, and the ones that are lesser known. There is, uh, LSD, there's ketamine, uh, there's MDMA. So those are like the big three synthetics. That's Molly. Molly. MDMA. Yes. Or sassafras, which is the plant derives from, which is MDA. And, and ketamine is like K2. I don't know. Ketamine's not, I mean, I don't like, I, so I kind of, I'm not big on the synthetics. They do have a place, but I came to this in a completely formal way. I, I got literally brain scans before and after with a neuroscientist before I walked into my first medicine ceremony. So like, I was like, 
you know, I, I, I had to know, you know, I was getting my vitals fucking red and everything. And I come from a straight edge family, man. Like I don't drink alcohol. I don't, I don't, I, I don't drink alcohol. I don't have fucking sugar. I don't have like, I'm as clean as a fucking whistle. And it's so weird. Cause your dad was like a rock star. What the fuck? Dude, so, but my dad, my dad is, uh, so right, my dad's D. Snyder from the lead singer Twisted Sister, and my dad is, like, famously straight edge, and it was so funny when I was a kid, everybody would be like, oh, your dad's a rock star, so he must be, like, you know, such a party animal, and he wasn't, and if anything, that ingrained in me, like, I don't want to be what people think I'm going to be, people think I'm going to be that, so, which is, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a wound as a child, so I didn't want to ever touch that shit, but my dad... In the 1980s, there's something called the PMRC hearings. Have you ever heard of this? The PMRC hearings are essentially Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, created this, uh, this group of like senators' wives, and they created something called the Filthy 15. And they, were all so- and they rated each song for like sadomasochism, bondage, profanity, sexuality, whatever. And they started raiding and banning these musicians. So it was actually like the censorship of today has been happening since time, since the beginning of time. But this was a big time for censorship. And uh, all the record labels told every major artist at the time not to get involved, that it would blow over and they would be essentially canceled. So my dad, when my dad had two songs on the Filthy 15, uh, unjustly. So when th- they did this big Senate hearing to sort of like, it was a witch trial against rock and roll, against musicians and freedom of speech, nobody, came, sh- no musicians or artists showed up to defend it except my dad, Frank Zappa, and John Denver, which is like fucking weird trinity. But my dad showed up <laughs> wearing like makeup from like the night before, like in a denim jacket with a shirt of his own face on it and walks up and fucking pulls out like a, like his speech and just complete, my dad's super smart and just fucking crucifies them all. Essentially told Tipper, said that Tipper Gore, he said, uh, you know, that songs uh, leave room for lyrical interpretation for people to put their own experience on it and that it wasn't his fault that Tipper Gore had a dirty mind and she saw sadomasochism and bondage in his songs and Ultimately, my dad was sort of canceled at the time because of doing this. And ultimately, though, they weren't able to ban all these artists. The result of that was the warning parental advisory sticker. The reason we have the warning parental advisory sticker was this big Senate hearing. And that was sort of like a lesser penalty to these artists. And then we still have that advisory sticker today. But in that Senate hearing, my dad says, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I've been married to my wife for you know, whatever, 40 years or whatever it is. And it like, people's minds were blown. So that's a huge part of my dad's identity. And he raised us be like, with the fucking stick when it came to like, don't fucking do drugs, don't fucking do this. So it was a huge, it was a huge fucking mind fuck for, for his kids to all be doing psychedelics. But yeah, I mean, like the, 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 to go back to kind of the major psychedelics, you have LSD, MDMA, and ketamine, which are the synthetics, and then you have the plant medicines. So you have the psilocybin mushroom, which is known as tianotocotyl or flesh of the gods, when it, where it actually originates from. Ayahuasca, wachuma, DMT, which occurs in pretty much everything, and uh, ibogaine, iboga. And there's others, but these are the big ones that are coming out right now. The plant medicines are a whole nother fucking thing. Like you can, you can think you do LSD or did this, I, it's like, I mean, the plants themselves, it's 
like interfacing with another consciousness. It's literally red pill shit. So when you, when you work with this and you really get into it, what you find out is that every single religion, every single culture in the world has its roots and base in psychedelics. So you're talking about, people want to talk about fucking Jesus. There's fucking psychedelics all throughout the Bible, especially when you get to the canons that have been banned from the Bible under Constantine. So, I mean, you have psychedelics all over the place, and this comes back to shamanism, people altering their consciousness through any means necessary, whether it's breath work or meditation or fasting or sensory deprivation uh, or darkness, uh, you know, going into a cave. And it all, it doesn't matter how you do it, but you can put yourself in essentially an awakened state of consciousness uh, to peer through the dimensions. So, I mean, look, you said, you called this place the simulation when we sat down. Like, why do you call this place the simulation? Do you think we're in a simulation? I think there has been times over the past six, seven years where things have felt surreal. And so I sometimes question those moments, like, yo, what the fuck is deja vu? Like, have I experienced this before? Because I really fucking feel like it. Like, and I've, there's been times too, like just career-wise on the come up where I felt like someone just been fucking guiding me. Yep, yep. I don't know, is that? Yeah, 100%. Treat me. No, well, 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 do you know, do you know, so do you know like the, so simulation theory is. It's like, this is all fucking computer. There's someone watching over. Let's just see how this fucking thing plays out. Right. So the, the important thing to know is that simulation theory, which was popularized by Elon Musk and is a largely held belief, comes from very simple probability theory, right? So when you do, um, it's not even probability theory, it's a probability equation. When you think about all the infinite timelines and possibilities, the probability that this is an offshoot reality and not the core reality is, is massive. So it is just sheer, it is probable that we are in a simulation. Now, what does that mean? Every culture uses its most advanced under, technology of the time to explain reality. Every culture. So that's... Give me an example. So, okay, an example is uh, you can go in, let's say you go into the Bible, and this is an example, and this is, an, a, uh, this is a theory, but people will say, you know, they'll use uh, gods coming down in chariots to commune with humanity. And some people now will say, well, obviously that was a fucking UFO, but a chariot was their most advanced, you know, tr uh, thing that they drove in. So they called it a chariot in this text, right? So simulations are our most advanced, are our most advanced understanding of technology. So we go, oh, we must be in a simulation. So the important thing to know is we're in a subset reality, an offshoot reality, and that's sheer probability. You believe that? It's just, I've seen it. Like, it's just, you, and you can too. Like, I'm not here saying, like, anything that is not, that you can't experience for yourself. So what's the real thing? Well, it starts to, the real just, thing. Just to simplify, I'm, I'm trying to just bring this to, like, sixth grader terms. Yeah, sorry, man. I, I'm, no, it's all good. But just for anyone who tunes into this. So essentially what Cody's saying is, like, what we're experiencing right now is adjacent to what's actually real. Right. Because what's actually real, and whatever that realm is, they're the ones producing what's going on here, correct? Right. We, we say there, but it's us. 
you know. Oh God. You know, so it's not like it's us. You know, it's not like you can say them, but it's also us. You know, like it's you, bro. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's like that's the real mind fuck. So like obviously, and we can we can get into and let's let's walk down this. Let's walk, let's fucking ski down this fucking slope because you can really get into what the fuck's going on if you really start to kind of uh, pull this thing apart. So okay, simulation simulation theory. Well. If we in the, in the near future, which we know we're right there, are going to be able to create alternate realities that are indistinguishable from this reality, how do you think we would use that technology? I mean, I'm leading you, but do you want to take a guess? I mean, I can... I, I can, just, I got to be honest. I need you to just ask it a little simpler. Okay. So, so... Okay. Right now, like AR game. headset, fucking, yes. I was at an AR event. It's like Pokemon Go. Yes. So you're saying that people before us, this is their Pokemon Go, what we're experiencing right now. Yes. So, but when you start thinking about the ability to take, to, to take that technology and apply it to cultural problems, you can start to see that an example would be the prison industrial complex. Obviously, taking sick people who are committing crime that come from disenfranchised cultures, sticking them in an incarceration system in prison is not going to heal them. It's not good. If anything, they become more criminal, right? So an example of how we could use a simulation is we would put them in a computer program where they could, under their own autonomy and free will, learn to be an upstanding citizen in society. And then we pull them out and say, hey, bitch, nice job. You figured it out. You can come hang with the rest of us ninjas now. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Right? So you think that humanity is being penalized. No, no, no. It's, 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 first off, this is a full-blown paradox. So one of the, one of the reasons, you know, uh, uh, you know, Yoda or whatever can say a fucking, ooh, Connor is the man and the man is Connor. And you're like, oh, that's sort of, I'm just making this up. Right? Oh, there's some wisdom there. Any paradox, anything that holds two truths in it at the same time is transcending sort of this, this dual illusion and is an ultimate truth. So it's multiple things happening at once. What it seems like this is, is it's a school. It seems like it's a school, but it also seems like it's some sort of quarantine zone. So, I mean, if, but if you go into the ancients, like Hinduism, they call this Leela, the divine game. And they literally say it's a game we designed for ourselves to teach us certain things. So the interesting thing is simulation theory is talked about in all the ancient scriptures. I don't even fuck with that stuff because I'm kind of like, okay, well, I can't really trust this stuff. I know religions are heavily manipulated through time for control, whether it's Constantine or this person or that person. So I don't go there. But at the same time, now when I'm sent, now that I'm on the complete other side of this and I'm looking back and going, wow, this is what those ancient scriptures were talking about. So yeah, this, is this a simulation? Absolutely. Okay, but the question. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, so, no. I know. I'm. I know. I'm taking. I know. You asked me to keep it. I can. No, no. I just want to talk s- about the weather or traffic. I can easily do <laughs> no, that. No, no. This you is guys fascinating. Want to talk about the weather or traffic? I can. Or sports. Yeah. That's, <laughs> the last thing I need is another conversation about LA traffic. Holy shit! Everywhere you go, like, dude, the traffic <laughs> today, man, is wild. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, let's talk about some real shit. I actually can't even do it anymore, and that's why I be fucking made the podcast. I'm like, I just need. Can we just? Can we just talk about what the fuck's going on? I, this I, is weird. I get it. But so what you're saying is. Humans before us, maybe humans before us created this reality 
to teach us something or penalize us for something, correct? So the thing is not penalization. So everything but, is... But, I, but I'm right. Like other yes. humans created whatever this is. It's us. So we're, you know, it's like this is like, you know, it's, it's fucking you and me on the other side of the game and we fucking pop out in death. And you're like, I'm like, Connor, surprise, bitch. Like, you know, there's no death and it was just a game. And did you learn? And, and how was your experience? And so the question really starts to be, because we know because of simple probability theory that simulation theory is probable. So then we could go, okay, well, why, why, why? The interesting thing about it is everything is called, it's called self-symmetry. Essentially the largest, the largest thing and the smallest thing are connected, right? So let me explain this. So the family structure, take it to the family structure. There's the mother, father, the son, and the daughter, right? So you have two beings, male and female, that come together and they create life. Okay. Archetypally, they start to learn the difficulty of creating life and intelligence and what comes from that. So I can know from my own personal experience, my parents would try to protect me from things that they thought would harm me. So they don't tell me this, they don't do this, they try to control me. I get old enough and I go, fuck that noise, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. So I start doing all the shit they told me not to do. What ends up happening? Eventually I go, oh fuck, being an adult's hard. Oh my God, they were so right about everything they warned me about. Oh my God, I was such a dick to them. Wow, okay, I understand why they did what they told me to do. I'm gonna be a better son to my parents now, right? This is a microcosm of being created. Essentially what's going on is you cannot, I call this place free will school. You, I cannot violate your free will. If I violate your free will, then I am a doing a ungodly fucking injustice to you, okay? When you try to control someone, they rebel naturally. They have to be given their free will and they have to come to terms with the truths of being a good person and how to be, be, be in harmony with their reality on their own. So essentially what you're having is that's when we start to talk about what is earth school, what is this place? It is free will school. When we call it a quarantine zone or a school or a prison or a hospital, that's when you're starting to get it. And I'm not saying this is what this is, but I'm saying when you think hospital, when you think prison, when you think school, you start to think of these constructs and you start to think about free will versus fate or destiny, right? So then shit starts to get real weird. I go, you think we're in a simulation? You go, bro, I don't know. But in the past seven years, I just have these moments where everything lines up where I look at the clock and it's these certain numbers and someone says something to me and then I see this thing, it's all lined up, right? Now we're starting to get to the fucking secrets of what the fuck is going on. It seems like the illusion is free will. Our free will of choice seems to cause us all a lot of suffering, but when we start to follow our heart, we, things start to line up in this weird way, almost like we're all of a sudden clicking into the tracks of our higher self and our life. And then we start to see that there is this greater force and this destiny at play or whatever you want to call it. I know I'm saying a lot of crazy shit to you, bro. That's why I said put on your fucking tinfoil hat. Because if you really want to get into what's going on, man, I mean, like, this is what we're talking about. But the crazy thing is, is that quantum physics, which is completely antithetical to Newtonian physics, is pointing to this is pointing to that you are creating your reality. Your consciousness is attracting things and your health and everything. So we're starting to get into kind of the nature reality. I digress, but I don't know how the fuck we got here, but let, I mean, let me just yeah, do you want to pull us back? Sure. <laughs> For, Cause you're an intellectual guy and I'm more of a simpleton. So I just like simplifying things. So you, us 
created this to test out new things and to learn new things and then to improve that. I, I, is that is that like kind of a at least a covering of what you're going for here? Look, essentially, I don't. I try not to use the G word, but essentially, it's God school. You are a creator of your own reality. You're being put in a quarantined zone where you get to exercise being a god and creating your reality, and you are going to deal with the ramifications Kyle's of that. Kyle's over there saying preach. Dude, are you guys with me? You're on the second I, I'm sorry, bro. Am I? Okay, okay. Dude, thank you for this because it's so hard for me to speak publicly on this I'm stuff. I'm not saying you're brainy. I'm just trying to understand. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. And the more you can teach me how to, how to better illustrate and explain what's going on, because you want to talk about how fucked up school is? All they did was say, remember these big words and blah, blah, blah. And you made, but, but all I did was learn big words. And now everyone's like, what the fuck are you saying to me, sir? And I'm like, you know, I thought I would get a better job if I was, I, I, I'm just fucking around. But you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. And it's deep. It's deep. So, so, so since you're feeling me, I will take us deeper. Cause let me, I'm going to be real, real, real with you. I can't speak all the way the truth because it will, it will, it will, well, I appreciate it. I, but I have my own, here's the thing. When it comes to someone that does what I do, it, it's, and you're listening to them, it always comes down to their distortions. My distortions are personally around acceptance and around being accepted in my community. So I will bite my tongue and I won't say what I've learned by sitting in ceremonies around the world, right? So, but let's, let's, let's. Cody, Cody just adds up. We do have four minutes left. Four minutes? We do. Hilarious. <laughs> well, if you want to talk about the secrets of the universe on another episode, you can give Bo your gospel. <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a very, I mean, I mean, Bo, you tell me, cause you're saying you're picking up what I'm putting down. So you want the real spicy, spicy fucking tea, man. The tea is, is that you're God. Now, what the fuck does that mean? Now, here is the important thing to know. We're all God. We're one. We are all one. Every problem in society is disconnection from the one. Everything we are, we are living out, this fucking drama this illusion of whatever, the, the, the human drama, are all manifestations of ancient wounds around distortions around us being one. So we're literally learning about what happens when you leave home, when you left the one, and we're learning how to come back to being one, to reconnect. Love, people say, only love is real. Love, 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 love. All you need is love. What the fuck does that mean? Love is the word we use for connection. It all comes down to connection and disconnection and what disconnects us. There are main three things that disconnect us are power, security, and sex. Those are the three things that disconnect us. And I can explain what's going on. So if you look, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, look at the smallest, most finite point in reality and you could start to deconstruct it. Look at one cell splitting into two. Let's reverse the Big Bang when everything went from everything we see into one singular point of light. The first cell that splits into two, you get the Visica Pisces. You get gender. That's why everything's gender. Can't you see everything's ones and zeros and dicks and pussies, man? Look around. Are you kidding me? It's all gender. It's positive and negative polarity, okay? Positive and negative. You have two things. You have this one separation. That leads to the three wounds that plague us all that we're all working through. The first one is around security. When the man left the woman, right, 
you fucking want to fucking interface with divinity, boy, is that shit feminine. It's crazy. And, and it's intimidating. What, so security. When the one became two and the positive polarity left, the second thing is sex. When they tried to remerge and all the wounds that happened around that sex, when the dick goes into the pussy, life is created, right? So the third thing is power. When that sex, when that was that, could they, we could not harmonize, the male and the feminine could not harmonize because of that wound around security, which we all know if, you, if you're a straight person, you have a relationship with a woman, they need the, the foreplay and they need to be comfortable and there's all that stuff. That wound of not being able to connect immediately leads to a power distortion. And then the male polarity oppressed this feminine polarity. And that is literally the main three wounds. So we're all going back to getting back to your heart space, to reconnecting with each other, the one, nature, the universe, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. It's super fucking basic. It sounds fucking complicated, but it's fucking paint by numbers when you really look at this thing and call a spade a spade. And I will throw a hard period on that, though, because I know I'm read it for time. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to get to rant about cosmic, uh, you know, you know, mysteries. <laughs> You're a great guy, Cody. There were a couple things I'll ask you after the show, but if anybody <laughs> would like, I'm sure Cody talks about this in depth in his podcast, Awaken Underground. You just want to promo yourself real quick. Go yeah. ahead. Gang. I'll cut you up a clip. Yeah. The show is called Awaken Underground. It's a first, there's one season, it's 10 episodes. It just, Men's Health just featured it. And it goes on the journey. I have my family on, doctors on, psychotherapists, Deepak Chopra, like all these fucking dope people. And we talk about all of this, but honestly, not like this. Like, like because actually, like really Bo like looked at me with like his like soul being like nodding at me going, no, bro, like word. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll fucking keep going. I hide the ball on the first season. We'll, the second season, we're greenlit. We have a docu-series. I got a fucking animated cartoon, like Rick and Morty style. It's about to come out. Well, fucking all this shit. Everything I'm doing now, all I want to do is rip apart the nature of reality and kind of like, you know, make fun of it a little bit, talk about it. But check out The Awakened Underground. The second season's coming out soon. The first season talks about how to heal yourself with psychedelic medicines and what they reveal about the nature of reality. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. Well, awesome. Sorry this, for monologuing. It's all good. This is how we start and end the show. You ready? I'm going to tell you once. Ooh, I have the thing I do too. Tell me. Yeah. King Simulation. I'm only going to tell you once. You got to execute on the first try. Okay. And then we can talk about psychedelics after. Because I don't want to get charged for extra time. So real quick, you got to say hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Uh, am I looking at the camera? You will, but I'm going to intro you. Snake pit, snake pit, simulation snake pit, boom, go. Hi, my name is, where's my camera? Hi, hi, my name is Cody Blue and this is my golden hour. Is that what you're saying? What's up everyone? What's up gang? My name is Cody, Oop. What's up gang? My name is Cody Blue and this is my golden hour. What's the next one? That was my golden hour. What's up everyone? My name is Cody Blue and that was my golden hour. Thank you, Harrison. Brethren.